Well, let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 61, to Psalm 61 as we continue uh, our series in the Psalms. Now, there's some questions that I have heard uh, rumored around the church I I wanted to introduce before we read the passage uh, uh, on this basis. Um, uh, The title for the sermon, you know, I'm known for very meaningful titles. And uh, the question has come up, well, Pastor, which is it tonight? Which song from the 1960s will you expound in corporate public worship? Inquiring minds want to know. Well, tonight you will hear the results of a very serious Internet study using the online journal NME. I searched in vain to find out what that stands for. But it lists the top three songs from the 1960s. And given the title of the sermon, we must deal with this at some point. The number three, you know, you always do these in reverse order. The number three top song of the 1960s was Good Vibrations by the Beach Boys from the album of the same name. The number two song of the 1960s decade was Be My Baby by the Ronettes. Also, an album by the same name. Here I will confess to you that in my childhood, listening to the local AM radio station in Aiken, South Carolina, I was convinced that the album of the same name was actually what it said on the cover of the album. And then when I realized my mistake, I was crushed. And then finally, the number one song from the 1960s is A Day in the Life by the Beatles from their Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Now, I need to be transparent as I introduce this topic. Uh, My knowledge of such matters is fairly limited. I was familiar with Good Vibrations and with Be My Baby, but I had no idea who the Ronettes were, and I had difficulty at first knowing how to pronounce it. Uh, The Beatles, of course, I've heard of, but I have never knowledgeably listened to A Day in the Life that I could remember For your blessing and benefit, I did download a copy for $1.29 last night on the Internet, and I listened to it, and I I can't say that I feel any more enlightened because of it. Bach is better. But that's not why we're here tonight. Uh, Popular culture is nice, sort of. Even the deified decade of the 1960s can be a, a topic of fascination, but... It's only a common topic. We come together this evening to center our thoughts and our mind and our hearts around the fount of life, which is given for the good of our souls from the living and true God. We must admit as we approach Psalm 61 that that music has a power. God has made us in His image. And the form and orderliness of musical composition moves us in ways and on levels that I don't think we quite yet understand. And so it's not surprising because of its power that God has given us songs to sing to His glory that we might be moved and shaped and molded not just in how we think but also in how we feel and how we live. We're marching through the Psalms and tonight we're in the 60s and that's the reason for the creative title. Our psalm this evening is Psalm 61, and let me sing a bit of it for you. I first heard it in the 1960s. Maybe you know this tune. 
Hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. From the ends of the earth I will cry unto Thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock. Lead me to the rock that's higher than I. For Thou hast been a refuge to me and a strong tower from the enemy. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock. Lead me to the rock that's higher than I. Let's pray. Oh, our Father and our God, we do ask that you might help us to hear your heart, to hear the heart of your King at prayer, to hear the heart of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ at prayer, and that our hearts might be schooled by Him in how to prayer, pray and how to feel. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Psalm 61 is a psalm of David. It begins to the choir master with stringed instruments of David. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you. When my heart is faint, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shadow of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. Here in this short psalm, we have the privilege of listening in. Listening in to a personal prayer from King David as he turns to the Lord and prays for himself. You know, there's an amazing thing in the literature. Many of the modern commentators rage against the idea that David could have written this psalm. They, they are busy criticizing uh, the inspired direction which is included in it, just like we saw this morning included in the psalm uh, inspired through Habakkuk. Uh, They rage against that because uh, in their poor, weak-minded ethical system, it's just unfathomable that a man would pray for himself. Prayer for the king, by the king, that makes no sense at all to them. They obviously feel no depth to their own sin. They feel no burden to their call of office and gifting and responsibility in Christ. It would have been a sin for David not to pray the words, prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. David had a duty to pray that he would fulfill the terms and conditions laid upon him in the Davidic covenant from Almighty God. David obviously found himself in a time of distress in this psalm, and we're not given the exact historical reference. 
You know, some argue, well, this must have been early in David's life when Saul was after him and, and he must have penned these words or, or said them and they were written down. Others point to the lifetime of Absalom's rebellion. Others to the very end of David's life when perhaps there was some unnamed or unspecified tension in the kingdom. Oh, uh, David faced difficulty all along the timeline of his life. Just like you. Just like me. There's not a person here who lives in a perfect and flawless world. There's not a person in this room that has not tasted from the cup of tragedy and bitterness and heartache. Each and every one of us know what it is like to be in a situation where we need to turn to the Lord and cry out to Him in a time of distress. This is a song that we all need to sing. And so as we listen, we hear David cry to the Lord. Hear my cry, O God. Attend unto my prayer, he says. David cried out to God in times in which he was overwhelmed. Hear my cry, O Lord. Listen to my prayer. David found himself weary to the bone. He found himself endangered by enemies over and over and over again in his life. He needed shelter from the storm that he faced. And he was but a signpost pointing to his greater son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who took these words upon his lips and he sang these words as truly as his father David. Jesus cried to his heavenly father, over and over and over again. It was a daily part of his life, not just as a covenant child, but even as the one who was the Son of God incarnate, who came to live a life of perfect obedience in our place, identifying with us for our blessing and benefit in his humanity. He felt true fatigue of heart. And soul. You know those times when you look up from the bottom of the barrel. Uh, those times when you're like that proverbial cat who's hanging on the end of that big twine rope with a knot. Grab, he grabs into it with his claws and, and he's just hanging in there, baby. We live lives just like that. And he reached out and touched us in the flesh. He is our brother according to the flesh. And so he tasted of our weakness, but he never once broke the inspired and inerrant law of God. Jesus needed a refuge in a rock. His heart was in turmoil and, and needed to be settled. And so he found all that he needed in crying out to his heavenly Father, who always listened and always answered Rightly, his prayers. Our Lord's enemies were legion. The Pharisees and Sadducees, not to mention the Romans. He not only needed the tabernacle as a place to shelter, going into the temple of God, hiding himself in the shadows of its delightful places as prayers and songs and sacrifices mingled together 
and made their way to heaven. He also needed to hide in that place that was a visible, physical sign and seal, a visible visible and tangible sacrament of the fact that He had been sent by His heavenly Father to tabernacle among us. That His incarnation was true and sure. That He was really the very Son of God. And that the weakness of the human condition should not cause Him to be shaken in that conviction. Oh, don't make a mistake. Don't think that your Savior is Robocop. Or the Terminator who comes from another time and place is of another being in another order. No, He is just like you in the flesh except without sin. And so He faced those pressures that you face. And this was the song of His heart. And it should be your song as well. You cry in this life. You cry out in pain, in confusion, in anguish. You should cry out to God in times of frustration and difficulty and temptation. You see, my friend, you are not made of titanium. You are not a stone that cannot be chipped or weathered. Your leg shakes sometimes. And you need to stand upon something sure and true. The rock. The rock of God. The rock of your salvation. Even upon your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You need Him. You need to hide yourself tucked away in His wing so that no matter what storm is raging, there you find shalom and peace and comfort and nurture for your soul. Cry out to the rock that is higher. That is your Christian calling and duty. You see, it's normal in a fallen world for the believing heart to be overwhelmed. You know, there's a, there's a guy downtown in an old basketball arena and he tells people that's not true. He tells people that if you just have enough uh, uh, optimism and, and commitment to the American dream and, and enthusiasm for uh, health, wealth and prosperity and apparently the right hairdo and the right tone of voice, then, then there'll be no problems in your life. Everything will just slide along with great ease. And, and that's just simply... False teaching. God here puts a song into your mouth to teach your heart that you live in a fallen world where there's brokenness, misery inside and out, temptation and danger on every hand. And you need to cry out to your heavenly Father. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I cry unto Thee. Your heart is faint. You need to be led to the rock that's higher than us all, who is the refuge and strong tower from you against an enemy. You need to come and dwell into His tent. Do you know? Do you know the Lord loves you and He invites you to come into His house, into His tent, and to carefully shadow under His wing in this place? to be together with brothers and sisters, to to be together with the others who love Jesus as well, your spiritual blood pressure should go down as you enter the house of God 
and assemble with His people and cry out in prayer and song to Him for every need. And you know your physical blood pressure will go down some too. It'll be good for your soul to gather with His people. Oh, the ground on which you flee to the Savior, the ground on which you hide yourself in Him, is not just the fact that God is good and even nice. It is rather something even deeper, that His Word is true and sure. That He has declared and has made it so that He is the covenant-making and keeping God. And He will be true to His covenant. David could sing at the top of his lungs to the Heavenly Father above because He made promises that He was sure to keep. And so David in this psalm sings to the Lord He sings, keep your promises to me, O God. Look at verse 5. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. These words on David's lips reflected the fact that David was bound by covenant duty and covenant love because he had been placed into a relationship with his heavenly father. He made sacrifices. He, he brought an, uh, animals, uh, uh, lambs and, and sheep and, and bulls and goats. He brought these to be sacrificed on the altar of God because he had been brought into the family of God by the hand of providence, powerful and sure. You know, I listened carefully last night to that old Beatles song. It's a strange composition. But you know, there's a, as there always is, there's a little beat and a, and a little turn of phrase, which is so interesting. It's, uh, I think, contrasting something of an earlier generation's life in, in the UK, particularly under the pressure of World War I, perhaps, uh, and uh, contrasting that with the new and the modern in the 1960s, and especially the drug scene seems to be a very big part of it. But there's a catchy aspect. But if we take that kind of approach to describing life and we put a covenant child like David under its microscope, the song and the lyrics sound very different, though familiar. You see, a covenant child... He could sing, woke up, fell out of bed to rejoicing and prayer on my knees. I dragged a comb through my hair. Pagans and Christians both have hair in most cases. Went out. But rather than despairing, the covenant child would say, saw the crowds who were lost and in need of the Savior Read the news today. Oh boy, it was rather glad rather than sad. Because you see, every page is a testimony to the power of providence weaving and directing in a sovereign way our days that they might reach their divinely appointed end and the Lord might come back in power and glory gathering in all His saints to the new heavens and new earth. The sovereign King Jesus reigns over all the world and even reigns over that of a covenant child 
All the world in my world, the covenant child could sing. And you too can be his if you but trust in him and turn to him with your whole heart. Every covenant child is bound to God by covenant promises and covenant obligations. Their life does not circle around their little nose. Frankie will eventually figure out that there's more there than just within a few inches. As he grows up in a home which schools him and teaches him in the things of God. It is a joy for us to have seen a covenant child be marked with that sign and seal that we can all remember our baptisms and resolve to live to his glory. You see, our lives are to be about him rather than about ourselves. Life in him. Everything circles about him. You know, there's a wealth of blessing even in the margins of your bulletins. Did you catch the one from that great uh, hymn writer, John Newton? John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. There's a quote there from him. It reads like this on page two of the bulletin. This is faith, a renouncing of everything we're apt to call our own and relying wholly upon the blood, righteousness, and intercession of Jesus. Old John Newton, he was barking up the right tree. My life is not my own. It is Christ's. And so I live all of my life to His glory. As the Apostle Paul said, for me to live is Christ. And to die is Christ too. He said, to die is gain. Everything in life and death and everything in between is the Lord's. And that's the core of the gospel message because He sent His Son into the world for sinners like us. And in verse 7 we read, May the King be enthroned forever before God, appoint steadfast love and love and faithfulness to watch over Him. This is not David being self-centered. It's David being God-centered and Christ-centered. You see, the throne on which he sat was a throne which God had given him. And God had given him that throne for a particular purpose. He was to warm it. He had the privilege of sitting in that seat and warming it up for the one who truly is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He warmed it up for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who was to come. David sat there and softened that cushion that it might be ready for our Lord to possess. And so God is the one who is the center of our world. And God is the one who most fundamentally is at work for gospel good in our lives. By His sovereign hand, He fulfilled the history of redemption. Every promise He had made, every covenant promise all along the way, He has kept true and sure. And He did so. Guiding, directing, sovereignly superintending in ways that the philosophers will never grasp or plumb ultimately. He did so at the same time establishing our freedom and the freedom of every creature on the face of the planet. He 
as the sovereign, giving us ground on which to stand. He changes our nature. He makes us new. He takes the initiative. He guides and is the one who predestines what is to occur, according to the Apostle Paul. And so he protected David through thick and thin, in the wilderness and in the capital, in victory and in defeat. David was protected and he will protect you too as he leads you safely home to the celestial city. David's greater son was bound to come and every event in David's life was oriented towards that appointed future and end. And in your life, in the midst of anguish and suffering, in the midst of illness and depression, in the midst of frustration and feeling as if you are undone, He works and weaves in your soul to give you the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the gentleness, the self-control of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is a transcript of Christ-like character, and that's what He makes you into. He transforms you by His power, giving triumph over sin and death and even the devil. He chooses to do this in the same way His Son embraced to save us, step by step and day by day. He created the world with but a word. He could have saved us with but a word. But rather He chooses to send His Son who daily lived and walked that we might have righteousness of Christian living credited to our account, who sacrificed and suffered that we might learn the joy of sacrificial suffering in His train. Oh, we fill up the suffering of Christ as we suffer for gospel good and deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Him. And David crescendos by telling us that God will appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over us in Christ. You see, David not only cried out for God to keep His promises, but he also prayed something we all need to learn to pray quite well. Help me, O Lord, keep my promises to You. Help me praise you forever, he ends in verse 8. So I, or so will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. David, like a laser, is focused on the ultimate end, upon the ultimate goal which he has in mind. Eternal praise is his target. He catches a vision for that worship in the new heavens and new earth, 
when we're gathered together there with all the people of God, from every tongue and tribe and people and nation, as we sing praises to our Heavenly Father, as Jesus leads us in worship, as we adore Him and see Him face to face, David asked God to give him a long obedience in the same direction that he might walk step by step in that way. You see, a long obedience begins at some point, but it continues plodding one step at a time, day after day. Help me day by day, he says, as I perform my vows day after day. He leaves those words as the last on our lips, ringing in our ears that we might know how to live and be able to take on the day. Do you remember Neil Armstrong? Do you remember those famous words? That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. As he jumped off that ladder and, and onto the face of the moon, he taught us, he reminded us of the fact that it's one small step, both at the beginning and also at the end. Do you remember the rich young ruler? How do I go to heaven? He asked the right question. But he missed the answer completely. Jesus told him to keep the commandments, but the rich young ruler was rich and young and foolish. All these things I have kept, he boasted. What am I still lacking? Rather than smacking him, our Lord looked upon him in compassion. I think there's no powerful proof of our Lord's divinity than that. The poor kid didn't have a clue. So Jesus gave him an education. He gave him an education in the fact that he'd not kept even one of the commandments. He hadn't even begun to keep the first of the commandments. He was owned by his money rather than being owned by the Lord. And he called him to give it all away and come and follow me. That was his cross that he needed to carry and embrace and come and follow Jesus. A long journey begins with a single step followed by a thousand more. Long obedience in the same direction requires your daily attention. And that is what David is reminding us here at the end. You cannot do it alone, my friend. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how strong you are. I don't care the depth of your moral resolve or even your determination to bring glory to your Heavenly Father. All of those ends... All of those means are fine in their own place. But you know, you are but flesh and fallen flesh at that. And you will not make the journey unless He carry you, unless He empower you, unless He walk with you every step. Jesus Christ, filled without measure by the Holy Spirit, he walked faithfully every step of the way. His act of obedience fulfilled the law of God for each and every one who was His. He sang. He paid. He prayed so that you might have a chance 
too. And so, my friend, take it. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we ask that by Your grace and mercy and by the work of Your Holy Spirit that we might know Your blessing in our lives. Help us to live according not to our own tune and our own fascinations, but rather according to Your Son and our Savior and His Gospel and His Kingdom. And we will give You all the glory. In Jesus' name, Amen.